the financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Financial Dads. Um, Paul Fagan got caught up a little bit today, so he's not going to be able to make the show. But with us, we have an amazing guest here, uh, David Rozell. David's written a couple books here. The one I'm holding in my hands right now is Keep Climbing, Climbing, A Millennial's Guide to Financial Planning. I've uh, been reading it for a little bit here. It's, it's really a, a, a great book because I think it breaks everything down so nice and simply between, you know, 401ks, 403bs, and depending on whether you're a government agency or private agency or small business with simple IRAs, it, it goes through and explains a lot of steps and what they are. But enough to do about that. I kind of want to get to David here. David's been traveling the world as well. Currently, current tally of over 75 countries on six different continents. Um, his quest for extreme travel has included hitchhiking from Nairobi to Cape Town, Africa, and climbing the infamous peaks of the police Himalayas. So, uh, David, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here today. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for being here. And so, Dave, why don't you, you know, just let's jump right in here and tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, um, it, it started as a, a young business owner. Um, when I was in high school at the age of 15, um, residing in upstate New York, so just about four hours north of where you reside, uh, we homeowners used to seal coat their own driveways and my dad and I seal coated his driveway and the neighbor asked me to seal coat his driveway. And I loved it cause I made $25 and this is 1984. Uh, and that was uh, equivalent to me mowing five lawns cause I was charging $5 a lawn at the time. And before I knew it, all the neighbors, uh, the word of mouth got around and I ended up seal coating eight driveways that summer. And the next year, my mom would pick me up in her Buick Electra station wagon, and we'd fill up uh, the back with these five-gallon drums, and I ended up seal-coating 25 driveways. So I ended up growing this business not only through high school, but through my four years of college. And uh, when I graduated, rather than looking at Mother Nature forcing us to shut down operations in the winter as a detriment, I looked at it as an opportunity and I was still living at home. And I said, mom and dad, I'm going to go travel for the six months of the off season down to Australia, New Zealand. And I promise when I come home, I'll do one more year of driveway sealing and then I'll get a real job. And if you would have told me at that time that I would grow the business another 10 years and spend a month in 65 different countries over that decade period of time, and when I sold the business at the age of 30, we'd be seal coating 1,200 driveways a summer. I would have said, Paul, you are out of your mind. Wow. So so you're much better than I am. I did the same thing. I used to seal driveways and mow lawns, too. Oh, and, man. oh, gosh, I I had 14 lawns a week, and God only knows how many driveways I, I was doing. But And I often looked at, like, I can make this a business. But I did go to the school college route as well, and I went and got the traditional job, so I did not do what you did, and uh, but yet here we are. Yeah, here we are, and, and you know, interestingly enough, 
is I was making very good money for a young man. And my father and grandmother, who uh, originally reside from Queens, New York, which is where your studio is today, um, taught me some great financial lessons and um, taught me how to open up a Roth IRA at the age of 19. And, uh, and from there, uh, I really learned some money lessons at a young age and started reading books about finance. And, uh, and that's how I got into the world of, of financial planning eventually. Wow. So with that, that's a great segue, I guess, to, to my next question here. What's the most important investment lesson you've learned? Well, I would say the most important investment lessons were ones I learned from my grandmother and my father, and they are the simplest lessons. Um, that includes, you know, the tougher we are on ourselves today, the easier life will be on us later. Hmm. Um, that don't really need to do anything extraordinary if we want to be independent of the paycheck one day. We really just need to do some ordinary things extraordinarily well. And when I mean ordinary things, it's like living on 90% of your paycheck rather than 100 to 110% of your paycheck. That sounds so simple, right? And, and basic. And then taking that money and putting it to work for you. Um, that other lesson being the difference between working for money or having money work for you. Mm, I like that. I want to get into that more in a little bit, I think. Uh, and I feel like your, your, your responses are flowing right into my next questions here. So it's kind of neat. So what would you say then? Why is it about, why is it all about time in the markets and not timing the markets? Yeah, well, it's a good time to be asking that question. Um, you know, what I find is that whenever we're going through a unique event around the world or in the United States, um, the four most expensive words in the English language are this time is different. Mm -hmm. So if we go back 28 months ago to March of 2020, March of 2020, uh, we all remember that that was when we realized that this global pandemic was a reality. And the stock market, the S&P dropped 34% like that in just over a week. And Millions of Americans were saying, you don't understand, this time is different. We've never had a global pandemic in our lifetime. So millions of Americans sold out of their investments inside their IRAs, their 401ks, and fled to cash. And now the markets are up about 80% since then. And I'm here saying it's not about timing the markets because when you time the markets, you got to not only be lucky when you get out, but you got to be lucky when you get back in. Mm. So those people who are sitting in cash, if they want to get in the market right now, they have to pay an 80% premium. And so I like to say it's not timing the markets, it's time in the markets. It's sticking with it. It's not even the 80% premium, right? If you look at just overall inflation and, you know, the value of money has changed as well. Yeah. You know, inflation, of course, is on everyone's mind right now. All you have to do is go to the grocery store or go to the pumps and it just hits us uh, smack in, in the face. Um, but we also need to put it in perspective. Um, in 1980, do you have any idea what inflation was that year? 
1980, I think it was around 17 percent, so 15 to 17 percent, yeah, right, if I recall. Yeah, right in there. In mortgages, 30-year fixed mortgages were 18 percent. Yeah, they were up there too. And uh, and but the reality is, is since the beginning of time, even though we have periods of high inflation, when you're doing financial planning, you want to bring it back to the average. And inflation always averages between three and four percent. However, when we're planning our retirement, inflation can have some detrimental impacts, and I'll share why. Let's say that you're a listener and you're 40 years of age, and you tell your financial planner that you want to retire or be independent of the paycheck at age 60, and you want to live on $100,000 net of taxes. Well, at 3.5% inflation, mathematically, the cost of living doubles every 20 years. So what that means is that you have to have enough saved up when you hit the financial summit, which is the last day that you're funding your accounts and the first day that you're gonna be living off of them for the next 20, 30, 40 years, you need to be taking out $200,000 at age 60 to buy what $100,000 buys today. And we know that today retirees are living longer and they're much more active. I mean, I like to say graying means playing. You know, the, the, the seniors of the past have traded in their rocking chairs for stand-up paddle boards. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden you're 80 years young. You retired at 60. You wanted to live on $100,000 back when you were 40. Not only did it double to 200000 when you're 60, but by the age of 80, you need to be taking out $400,000 to buy what $100,000 buys today. And I'll take it even one step forward, Paul. Mm -hmm. The fastest growing percentage of our population are centenarians, people 100 years of age and older. The love of my life, Heather's grandmother, recently passed away at 106. Wow. So let's just say hypothetically, this same person does live to 100. The cost of living doubles again, and they would need $800,000. And when people share to me that this cannot be, this just sounds like hogwash and you're trying to scare me. My response is that I bet that you spent more money on your last automobile than your parents spent on their first home. I think that's a great way to look at it. It's a very simple analogy, right? Call mom and dad and say, hey, what did you guys spend on that house? And so uh, I actually know what they spent on that house. I know what I spent on my most recent car. And it, it's not that different, but the car was a little cheaper. But yes, it, generally speaking, it's not that far off. I mean, I could have yeah. added one feature to that car and probably would have been closer to the value of that house. Yeah. You know, when I speak to audiences around the country and I start asking them occasionally, asking, you know, how much did your parents spend for your home? I hear 13000 I once had someone say 6000 um, I know my parents in 1972 bought a beautiful rather large house in upstate New York, and it was 42000 Um, And I know my dad spent considerably more than that on his last automobile. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's neat. You can even just take, open up a simple financial calculator, right? And put in $100,000 as, you know, amortize it at 3% over, you know, however long you want to do it. And you'll see what that comes out to, right? You could probably just do it yourself quickly. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the law of 72, Paul? 
No, I, I haven't heard of that. Please. So the law of 72 is a way that you can make your friends think you're a genius. Um, what you do is you take the rate of return that you're averaging, whether it's in real estate or the stock market, and say it's 10%. You just take 10, goes into the number 72, 7.2 times. And that means if you're averaging 10%, every 7.2 years, your money will double. If you're getting 6% rate of return, 6 goes to 72, 12 times, at a 6% annualized rate of return, your money will double in 12 years. So the reverse of that is the 3.5% inflation rate. 3.5 goes into 72 about 20 times. So mathematically, the cost of living doubles every 20 years. There you go. Thank you. I'll have to uh, have to play with that. Now, when you factor in inflation at three some three and a half percent, and then the rule of four, which is kind of uh, you know the other rule for how much to take out a year, and if you do the rule of four percent out, you know that rule. Have you heard of that I one? sure do. Right. So it's really you need to do the four percent rule. You need at least seven and a half eight percent annual return just to stay even. Then based on inflation, right? Yeah, for those that haven't heard about it, the law of 4% has been around for several decades and leading uh, financial planners and economists have shown that on an average of a 25-year retirement, to have the highest probability of not outliving your income and getting through the recessions that we average every nine years, um, you have the highest probability of only living off of 4% of your principal. And what that means is for every million dollars that you saved up, you're only living on $40,000 a year that you then have to pay taxes on. So years ago, if you, uh, if you retired on a million dollars, you were set. These days, not so much. No. No, not at all. So let's, let's, let's go back a little bit here. Um, you know, we, we did talk about the return on your money and why it's so important um, on that. But I want to go into something else. Um, it's been talked about a lot lately, and that's ETFs versus mutual funds. They, they seem very similar. Um, in your book, I, I think you gave a great analogy between, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox, if I recall the book correctly there. So can, can you give us a little, like, I think everyone, most people kind of understand a mutual fund. But an ETF, I feel like, while it's not maybe new, it's still maybe not as well understood because it's gotten very popular over the last, you know, maybe five, seven years, even more so. Yeah. Um, Exchange-traded funds or ETFs, um, something that we've been working with since 2003. And before that, we did a lot of work with mutual funds. So I'm not here to put down mutual funds. But I'm, uh, I personally think that there'd be no reason to invest in mutual funds now that ETFs are out. And um, what's been proven that uh, over any one, three, five-year time period is that mutual fund managers, their goal is usually to beat their benchmark index. And what that means is if you're a large-cap mutual fund, you compare yourself to the returns of the S&P 500. And over 80% of the time, the manager will not reach the, the returns of their benchmark index. And the ones that get it 
the 20% that get it this year almost never beat it again the next year. And so what ETFs are, are computers that track the individual indexes. And so in this example, if the S&P 500 is up 10%, your S&P large cap ETF is up exactly 10%. If the Russell 2000 is down 4%, your ETF isn't down more than 4%, it's down exactly 4%. So rather than having a 20% chance or less of getting your benchmark index or beating it, you have a 100% chance of getting it exactly. Um, and because it's computers and these very high, high price managers on Wall Street that are doing this, the overhead, the cost of having that fund, the 12B1 fee that it's referred to, is usually six to 10 times less in an ETF. And as we know, as business owners, the lower your overhead, the higher your profit. Wow, thank you. That's that's um, very helpful. I think I have to go check out some of my, uh, my options in my 401k and see what I can move around. But yeah, it doesn't even make sense to, to move things, right? Because we're talking about timing the market versus doing it, but I mean, you got to make the choice to switch over if you want to do something like that at some point anyway. Yeah. And I was referring to time in the market. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't rebalance your accounts or switch things over to something that might be more beneficial. And certainly in a 401k, you can make as many changes as you want without uh, a tax burden. Um, it means, you know, staying in the market for the long haul. And we're just starting to see over the last several years, a lot more ETFs inside of the separate accounts of 401ks and inside life insurance policies. And if you have that ability to switch into them, uh, I think it could be a, a very good move. Oh, very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Financially secure, or maybe not secure, but financially self-actualized and li live the life you've always imagined. Uh, I know you touch on that uh, in the book and, and such. Can, can you give me some 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 thoughts? What, what, what do you mean and how, how does one understand and get there? Yeah, well, we came up, uh, we started using that term actualization uh, from uh, a very famous uh, philosopher, not philosopher, but a um, famous psychologist, Abraham Maslow. Abraham Maslow had his hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you remember right. that from Psychology yep. 101. Maslow's Law, right? Yep. Yeah. And what he talked about is uh, before you can think of anything, you got to fill your stomach. If you're hungry, you can't think of anything else. But once you've satisfied that need, you go up the hierarchy. And the next is shelter, having a roof over your head. Um, and then once you are at a full stomach and have that safety of shelter, you could then think about relationships and possibly love. And the next up the hierarchy would be things like working on yourself, self-esteem. And as you go up this hierarchy and you do everything in his order, the term he used is you become self-actualized. So our goal with our clients, uh, those who are at or near retirement, is to get them financially self-actualized. And it's a mixture of art and science. There's no one way to make the ragu in the kitchen, uh, but we know that our ragu works because it's been uh, 
tested in, in two of the worst down markets in history in 2001 and then, of course, 2008. And so when people are in the distribution phase of their life, in the retirement stage, um, we look at their paychecks. And the paychecks are the income to cover the necessities in their life, food, shelter, clothing, taxes, transportation, insurance. And we believe that the income coming in to cover the necessity expenses needs to be guaranteed for life. And there's only a few ways to do that. Social insecurity, pensions, if you're lucky to have one. And then there's other ways to take a portion of your IRA and place it with an A-plus rated company to supplement and get you guaranteed income for life. So regardless of whether there's a trade war with China, a nuclear war with North Korea, the new Cold War with Russia, whatever's happening with interest rates, inflation, it doesn't matter because your necessity expenses are guaranteed. You get a lot of peace of mind when your paychecks are guaranteed. But we don't just work so hard to cover necessities. Our next expenses are the joy things, which are hobbies and travel and grandchildren and fun stuff. And we don't believe that this should be guaranteed. Um, we, we usually place this with a completely different company, different time horizon, different strategies. And we love exchange traded funds for this. So every month our clients are getting their paychecks from guaranteed sources, their play checks from the ETFs. And then we keep going up the ladder and a lot of retirees have goals. They want to cover their grandchildren's education or buy a second vacation home or a class A motor home and we'll put money with a completely different A-plus rated company, a different time horizon, a different heartbeat and purpose. And then we legacy and transferring their wealth to their heirs in the most tax efficient way possible and making sure that they have a remote control from heaven when they're no longer with us. And when we do all of this in order, that's when we see our clients true peace of mind. And we refer to that as being financially self-actualized. Um, I'm kind of almost speechless because I love the way you laid that out. I, I'm thinking of a lot of family members right now and, and um, it, it's a great way. I kind of want to go back, though, you know, the, the guaranteed on the on the necessities, the roof over your head, the food, you know, things like that. How do you factor in the inflation rate? Is that part of your, your special sauce there in the kitchen? Yeah, it sure is. And so what we do with our clients' plans is we break up their retirement into three stages. We have fun with these names. We call it the go-go, the slow-go, and the no-go. And... Up until age 80, we call that um, the go-go because that's the early stages of retirement where they're still active, generally speaking. They're doing their river cruises on the Danube, and they're spending more money than they ever will in retirement. And then we just know from doing thousands of plans over the last couple decades is that people just naturally start spending less money after 80. So what we do is we increase their income every year, and we're accounting for this in their plan, by 4% to keep to more than keep pace with the average inflation rate. And then when we go from the go-go to the slow-go stage, we still increase their income every year, but only by 2%. And then from 90 onward, we kind of level it off at that high rate, and we don't 
of the many annual increases, and we call that the no-go, um, because people are just not spending money in their 90s like they are in their 60s and 70s. Great. I love the plan. I really, that's really kind of cool and neat. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, You're welcome. Gonna have to call you maybe after this. Um, <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I'll be visiting clients, as I mentioned to you, in New York next week. Great. So maybe we can get together. Um, so question now, I want to go back. Well, not really go back. My next one here is, you know, how do you turn your IRA into paychecks and playchecks? We just kind of cover that. Uh, so maybe that's a little bit redundant there. But anything additional yeah. on that? Um, I would just say that most successful people, as they enter retirement or plan for it, know exactly how much money they have, but they have no idea what their money can or can't do for them. And there's two different hats that a true financial planner wears, and they're very different, but they overlap. One is that they are true planners. They're spelling out what life looks like if they continue doing what they're doing. And if there's any shortfalls, what do they need to do to overcome those? And that tells whatever their personalized goals are, how much money they want to live, when they want to be retired. Uh, do they want to cover grandchildren's education or buy a boat? All that needs to be factored in. And I'm a strong believer in not having a set it and forget it approach. These plans, whether you're in the accumulation phase or the distribution phase, need to be updated each and every year because, Paul, the only thing constant in life is change. Mm -hmm. Now, a second hat is helping that same person or family with the investments. But the investments is the commoditized side of what we do. It's a very important side, but I want people to realize that there's two very distinct hats. One is the planning, because ideas have value, and it's keeping track of your life and your family. Uh, the other is the investment side. Hmm. Very cool. So we, we talked a lot about folks, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, right? Well, what about that that 23-year-old listening to the show? I know there are some out there, and 30-year-olds, those millennials, you know, the millennials, the millennials, you know, they got out of school and started working, and we had one of the worst financial crises um, since the Great Depression, right, 2008-ish. So, and that's when they were just coming out of school. And so, you know, that generation has been shocked by that, been shocked by this pandemic for the last two years in some ways, right? So is the strategy different, or are they thinking about money different? And do you see that, you know, they need a different style of coaching or, you know, you wrote the book on it. So I'm asking you. Yeah. Well, speaking of coaching, it's the one thing missing in our educational system is we're not taught about the simple lessons about money, about compound interest, about the law of 72, about doing ordinary things extraordinarily well, about having money work for us rather than us working for money all the time. Um, and this really does need to be taught at the school level. And let's face it, millennials and even their parents don't want to spend their evenings or weekends reading a book on financial planning for the most part. 
And so what I did was try and take a topic that is so arduous for most people, that of financial planning and investing, and actually making it fun. And the way that I've accomplished this in all the books that I've written is I start out every chapter with a riveting travel story, whether it's being in Berlin the day the wall came down or climbing on the Annapurna circuit in Nepal or water skiing on an old fashioned board of wood on Lake Malawi in the center of Africa and lead into a financial lesson. And by the time there's one too many charts, it goes back into the next chapter with another travel story. And this has been an effective way to especially teach millennials about these simple lessons in a way that they have fun doing it with the intent of forever changing their lives. Wonderful. That's great. And uh, I, I was reminiscing about that water skiing story. I thought that was pretty fun. You know, a little 10 horsepower motor on the back of the, uh, the, the canoe or whatever it was. And then you got up skiing though. That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. I do like the analogy how you get. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I, I like how you give the analogy of, you know, it took a long time to get up and on the skis, but then you did. And then you're skiing behind this little boat, small engine, but you're doing it and how you relate that to finance. And, you know, you can make it. It just takes the right planning and such and go into it more. Yeah, that brings up uh, that chapter brings up a, a good story about finance, and this one can really help your young listeners. Um, but that same analogy of using all the, uh, you know, your energy get up out of the water, and then once you're up, you're using minimal energy is the same idea as a rocket ship uses 90% of its power to lift off, get into outer space. And once it loses its rocket boosters, it's using minimal consumption, 10%. Um, and the same thing happens with our investments. Um, I'll never forget when my grandmother asked me in my youth, David, would you rather have this penny doubled every day for 30 days or a million dollars right now? And of course, being the smart teenager that I was, I said, Grandma, I'll take the million dollars. And then she showed me a chart that is in the book. And you almost have to see it to believe it. But basically, by the time you go one to two, four, eight cents, 16, 32 cents, 64 cents. And by eight days, with only 22 days left, you're at $1.28. But then she went on to show me that the $1.28 becomes $2.50, which becomes $5.10, $20, $40, 80 $163. And by day 16, you're at $327. 14 days to go. Then all of a sudden, the $300 becomes 655, 1300, 2600, 5200. By day 21, you have just over $10,000 with nine days left. And then it goes from 10,000 to 20 to 40 to 80 to 160,000. The next day, it goes to 335 to 671 to 1.3 million to 2.6 million to 5.3 million. You double a penny for 30 days and you have yourself over $5 million. And that is the power of compound interest. That is. And you make that sound so simple. That's it. In the book, Keep Climbing. I got to tell you, page 28 of the. <laughs> I do have it right here. 
<laughs> I love it. So I love it. Uh, you know, that's such a powerful chart. I put it in my book as well called uh, Failure is Not an Option, Creating Certainty in the Uncertainty of Retirement. And, and I love that saying, failure is not an option, nor, nor is hope. I know uh, Paul Fagan loves using that line as well. Hope is not an option. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, that... If it is to be, it is up to me. Well, we're getting, we're getting lots of quotes today going, huh? We're going to have to uh, create a book of quotes just on this. This is good stuff. So, As my father would say, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so here's another one here. And, and maybe I think it might actually be it. I don't know. But what is the greatest investment tool of our times? Whoa, there, there are a lot of great investments. And to answer appropriately, it'd be like for who, under what circumstances, at what stage of their life, and what's the time horizon. Um, that's the compliance side of me. Yep. Um, but certainly exchange-traded funds across the board um, are, are magical uh, today for investing. It's all about, you know, there's 24 asset classes. It's about owning all the different asset classes, which would be 24 different ETFs, and then rebalancing those over time. And the only difference is, is the year you have are and the more time horizons you have, uh, that's when you could take on a little bit more of an aggressive approach. And as we get close to retirement, it's imperative that our portfolios become more conservative. Um, and that's, uh, here's another quote for you. By the time you retire, the return of your money takes precedence on the return on your money. Hmm. The return of your money is more important than the return on your money. You've got to make sure that you get it back. It's not about hitting home runs anymore because uh, I believe Hank Aaron hit more legal home runs than any baseball player in history, but he also struck out more than any baseball player in history. And when you're no longer adding to your accounts and you're living off of it for the next four decades, it's not about hitting home runs anymore. It's about investing appropriately with a much more conservative approach because there are no mulligans. There are no second chances once you retire. Yeah. And I, I like the little baseball thing there, you know, legal home runs for those of you baseball fans. You, you might catch Barry that. Bonds. Yeah, I didn't say it. You did. Yep. But yeah, no, that, that's pretty funny. Um, so are you a New York Yankee fan or a Mets fan? I have to ask. So not that big into baseball anymore. You know, I, I watched it a little bit. We became a hockey family when the kids started playing ice hockey. So I, I blame my dad for that. He, uh, gave us tickets to a game. The kids fell in love with it at a young age and they want to learn how to skate. So it happened to be winter here on Long Island, took them to a local pond, taught them how to skate. And um, gosh, that was an expensive uh, sport for a long time. We uh, actually did a whole episode Ranger, on it uh, a while ago. Rangers Islanders. We're we're an Islander household. We're an Islander household here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I remember my my younger son. Just I, probably one of the last years he was playing in high school before he went off to college. I think I computed. He's stepping on the ice with around three thousand dollars worth of equipment on him. So that's just the equipment. Like you're not going to go for the bargain bin on a helmet when they're shooting pucks at him at 50, 60 miles an hour. And you could, you know, maybe not the best plan. Of the year, so it, uh, 
Well, if we took that $3,000 and invested it and compounded that, no, I'm kidding. Exactly, exactly. I, I can't complain. He's uh, he's doing great. He's he's going to grad school now uh, at a great institution. And um, I can't complain. No no regrets there. He did well even getting hit in the head all those times. So it's, it's good. Yeah, story. we got to enjoy those kids. They grow up and they fight the coup before we know it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I want to, I have a deep thought question for you here. Um, what is the biggest financial mistake you made? What's the single best piece of advice you've received? You gave a lot of advice today, though, so I don't know if you're going to pick one of those, but biggest mistake and the biggest single piece of advice. Well, when I look back at my mistakes, and if you learn from them, uh, then maybe they're not mistakes. Uh, but for for me, uh, I'm a firm believer in investing in real estate as well as the stock market because they're kind of uncorrelated assets and they both have different pros and cons. Um, I'm also a believer in investing what you really know best or getting other professionals to help you with that. But in 2008, um, I started investing into uh, single family homes uh, just to broaden my my own portfolio. And I would use the equity in one home and then refinance it and take that equity out to put the down payment on the next home. And then that would grow like crazy. And I kept doing that again and again. And then uh, when the Great Recession hit, um, most of my tenants lost their jobs and stopped paying me rent. And the value of the homes lost over half their value in our area. And uh, that was a, a very stressful, eye-opening experience for me. And it, it uh, was a learning experience uh, because here I am trying to help people accumulate wealth and uh, I was losing mine at the same time. And uh, so that was a, 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 an experience that I'll never forget. And I certainly learned a whole lot from that kind of going back to the return of your money is sometimes more important than the return on it. And as far as um, the biggest advice, I really think that young people today think they have to do something extraordinary to accumulate wealth. They have to be one of the first people to buy Amazon stock uh, and get lucky in a tech firm that goes public. And the reality is that most millionaires in our country today the millionaire next door have done ordinary things extraordinarily well. They've lived below their means. They've driven maybe a buying a two to three year old car that's already depreciated than a brand new car and not replacing those cars every couple of years. It's it's just that mentality of being poor on ourselves to make life easier on us later. Wonderful. So, so back to the real estate. Did you? Are you still in that game? You're kind of like, eh, not really for me now. We we've had a lot of episodes on real estate lately. Yeah. So again, I'm a firm believer in real estate. A lot of our clients have accumulated vast fortunes in real estate. Uh, I now, uh, besides my primary residences, I uh, invest into ETFs of real estate. So I'm able to own that asset class in an exchange traded fund and I don't have tenants. I don't have to manage it. 
And uh, it's a beautiful way for me to partake in the real game, um, but not manage it. Yeah, and there are some very specific ETFs around that for, you know, the apartment building storage facility type things and, and things like that. They get, some of them get fairly granular, I think, as well, right? Yeah, I mean, there's exchange traded funds for everything, even like timber. And again, why we like some of these other asset classes that delve into natural resources or real estate is when you have different assets in your mix that are uncorrelated to each other, which means like if the stock market goes down, doesn't mean that timber prices are going to go down. It gives you the opportunity for higher rates of return and actually lowering your risk at the same time. Wow. That's great. I'm glad that little segue there. That was pretty cool. Thank you. So David, you know, I, I really enjoyed today's episode. I, I appreciate you being here. So how, what's, um, you know, I, I learned a lot. I don't even know where to start because I, I was taking some notes here and some of the quotes and uh, I got kind of got a little caught up there in the last bit as well, trying to, so you had this big problem with real estate, but now you're doing it a different way. And a lot of your clients went that way. Um, the millennials, I, I guess my thing would be for the younger generation, that whole comment around, you don't have to find the next Amazon, right? You know, keep that car 10 years if, if it's still running and safe, right? You know, th things like that. I think that's a, a very pragmatic, simple approach to it. So thank you. But how do people get in touch with you? Other than, you know, obviously you have a couple books, which are great. I can't wait to finish this one. I'm about uh, three quarters of the way through, it looks like. So. No, oh, fantastic. Well, if you're interested in the books, those could be purchased at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, failure is not an option. Creating certainty and the uncertainty of retirement is for those at or near retirement who have accumulated wealth and keep climbing a guide to financial planning is obviously for the younger segment of our population who are uh, looking to accumulate wealth over time. And uh, people are more than welcome to reach out to me directly here in my office. Uh, telephone number is 541-385-8831. And if you want to learn more about us, it's rosellwealthmanagement.com. And Roselle is R-O-S-E-L-L, -L, wealth management spelled out. Dot com. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening. Be kind and pay it forward. Mm -hmm.